everybody. This is Kobe. This is Kyle. And this is the Healing Circle Podcast. We yeah, back, yeah. we back, we back, we back. So today we're going to talk about um, being aware, developing self-awareness, and being aware of our internal monologue. This is going to be an interesting episode. Yeah. It's going to be a vulnerable episode. Do you use the word vulnerable? Yeah, it's Look like a curse you. word. I feel, I feel dirty. Look at you. Yes. So it is going to be... An episode about digging deep, about diving into those hard things and asking the questions that really matter. So I want to start off with some education because that's just how I do things. Um, the other day I taught a client about um, the super ego, the ego and the id. So oftentimes people don't understand. You think you fancy, huh? I'm not. Uh, I mean, but I kind of am. Wow. <laughs> but um, I, we hear the word ego a lot, but mm-hmm. we don't understand that ego is a part of like this this system, this subconscious system. And so people are like, ego kills everything ego forget the ego leave your ego at the door and it's like they do not understand the psychological structure and the role that ego plays in all of this so it's so, more than a beyonce song it yes i got a big i i she love my big oh that's the kanye west um remix and now i'm realizing it was a little bit inappropriate so we are gonna swiftly move past that we'll edit that out go ahead so so when you think about it, think of a, I'm trying to think of a good structure that would be a good example. Think of, think of a ladder. Okay. Think of a ladder that has rungs, has three rungs. The first one is the id. The id is our unfiltered desires. Right. So the example that I like to use is if you if I was sitting beside you and I was hungry and you had food and I did not, the id would say, take it. You're hungry. So take it. Right. Yep. yep. Sounds familiar. I've heard that voice in my head. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was nice. Thing. I was like, yeah. And I was like, wait, what? Um, the the super ego, which is the third rung. So I skipped from one to three. The third rung is the hypersensitive, hyperjudgmental voice, often known as the parental voice. Hmm. So this is the voice that says, no, don't take that food. It doesn't belong to you. More than that, it's your fault that you're hungry because you did not prepare for this moment. Huh. Right? And the ego, which is in the middle... The ego takes information from the id and from the superego and makes something relatable to the moment while maintaining integrity of the truth. So the ego may say, dang, I should have eaten before and that food is theirs, but maybe I can ask for it. Right? So, okay. <laughs> so you, we don't talk about, we we have a very general overview of what we're going to talk about before these episodes. So half the time she's explaining something, she's explaining something for the first time. I'm a little shook. Okay. Because it's, okay, I love The Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Uh, Cusco, that's my dude. That whole movie is great. And it just reminds me of, like, this caricature you see in cartoons all the time of, like, the good angel and, like, the devil on one shoulder where, like, 
one yes. side is like saying yes, yes, like, yes, that's a no, dude, example. just take it. And then the other side is like, no, don't do that. You're, you're, you're a good terrible. person. <laughs> and then there's like the you in the middle that has to like take both sides right. and blend it together. So And that is the ego. And that is why having ego strength is important. People say leave ego at the door, but people don't actually understand mm. the function of ego. So people who don't know how to set boundaries and people who do not know how to um, maintain integrity of who they are in the midst of difficult situations, those people who have are those are people who have low ego strength. So for me, for a very long time, I had low ego strength because if someone said you're ugly or you're not intelligent, I would genuinely consider that they might be true, mm. right? Someone with high ego strength and good, solid ego strength is someone who would say, I've heard what you're saying, but I do not believe that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, where's the line? I don't want to take you off track. So no, no, you, no, you're you good. tell me, where's the line between high ego strength and arrogance? Yeah. I've, whatever it is, I'm sure I've crossed it several times but yeah. i'd love to know kind of what's the difference because i would mm. say i would tell people oh i just have high ego strength like yeah. i don't scratch if it don't itch i don't laugh if it's not funny yeah i'm really not interested in entertaining people unless i feel the need and yeah that's good in some ways i'm sure because yeah. but you know I always not great in other ways mm-hmm. i think it has to do with context right so Maybe you work with M&A, with mergers and acquisition. Someone could come in and give you some type of advice or some type of information that you can genuinely have a founded reason on why you're not going to consider it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I would say that's good ego strength. That's maintaining the integrity of your intelligence and your expertise in your field. Right? But for... If you came into the therapy office, which a lot of people do, and this is what an inflated ego is, like Hmm. overinflated ego rather, is telling me how to help them deal with their depression when they can't resolve their depression themselves. (laughs) Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does make sense. Yeah. All of this makes a lot of sense. Well, I'm Because I'll be hearing some voices, but I'm not crazy. Okay. But the idea of what you were saying of like, there is almost this conversation happening yes, yes. at all times yes. of like your base instinct saying X and yeah. then there's super ego, I guess, saying yeah. like, okay, no, like don't do that. And then there's you in the middle yeah. that has to take those pieces and form a cohesive thought and move forward. Yep. Yep, 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 absolutely. And your ego is where your personality flourishes, right? Because that's where you get to take both parts of that information and execute it and express it into the world in a way that's particular to you. Yeah? Yeah. Um, so what I really want to talk about is the superego. The superego is known as the parental voice, right? So I'm, I'm sure we've all seen that meme that says, like, the voice that your children hear don't disappear in your absence. They just become their internal voices. And, like, psychologically, that's true, right? So oftentimes there are people who um, will, whatever things or standards, rather, that they had growing up with a parent, that the superego is always going to take on the role of the person who is responsible for punishing, right? It's always going to take on the role of someone who is responsible 
for punishing, for chastising, for rearing, for directing, mm-hmm. right? And which is why it's so important that we do that with compassion and with tenderness, um, which is possible hmm. because that becomes the guiding voice internally, right? Like I've had clients be like, yeah, I want to do this, but I can just hear my mom saying, I can yeah. just hear my dad saying, "Yeah, right? That's, that's your crazy. Su- that's your super ego, right? And the part of you that resists that is your ego. This part that says, yeah, my dad doesn't like that or doesn't want me to do that, but I really want to do this. And then the it is like, just bust it wide open. Just go <laughs> wow. buck wild. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Pop it on a handstand. Yeah, on a headstand. Yeah. And and this the, does that make sense? Like yeah, there are these yeah. extremes and our ego is where our personality resides and our ego is where our personality um, is expressed. But for a lot of us, we don't realize whose voice our super ego is modeled after. Mm. And because we don't know whose voice our super ego is modeled after, we don't know what healing looks like. Huh? Right. What was the, what was the motif of that person's thing? Like I have a, I have a client who, um, his super ego is the voice of a parent who was always critical. Yeah. So for that person, they're constantly like, what is someone going to think about this? What is someone going to think about that? And and years of growing up around hearing that voice externally and then internalizing that voice now yeah. is manifested into adulthood anxiety. Wow. Because these questions are going on in his head all the time and they're not necessarily questions he cares about personally, but they're questions that the superego is constantly posing to him because when he his mind was literally being developed, those neurological pathways of always being concerned about what other people think or what other people feel were developed in a way that didn't serve him as an adult who wants to live a free, abundant, joyful life. Hmm. This is kind of wild. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's... It makes so much sense, right? So, like, it has what I like to call the familiar ring of truth. Yeah. For the most part, when you hear something that is just true, you kind of know it when you see it, mainly because you can look and see all of this evidence of it. Yeah. And now I'm recognizing I have a very clear parental voice, mm. um, a, a very clear super ego, and I think I've always known that, but I think you're prompting the question of, okay, well... It's great that I have that. What are the deficiencies in that voice? Like, what are the mm. what are the things that I have to guard against in that voice? Yeah. Because my parents are great. Yeah. But they're flawed. Yeah. My father is an amazing man. Yeah. But he's he's flawed. Yeah. You know, and so. But also, you're different. You know, beyond yeah. being flawed, you're literally different people. Yeah. And I think that. The value of us knowing the physical person whose voice influences our internal voice, the value of that gives us the ability to distinguish where the enemy is trying to sow lies in our minds and our hearts. Yeah. Right? Because what that voice is doing is trying to create a standard in your life that God never ordained for you. Right? Trying yeah. to create a system in your heart, a perspective. Um, in your worship, a perspective in your intimacy with others and with God that you were never meant to maintain. And that's why it's so important to understand that voice of that person. So you can say, okay, this person valued this, but God has called me to value this. Right. And when we identify that, we have the ability to 
not speak against it and like, oh, I cast out the enemy, speak against it. But we we are able to combat it and then we're able to find ways to slowly replace that voice with something that looks more like the father. Yeah. This is um this this makes a uh, makes a ton of sense. Um and it kind of reminds me of like C. S. Lewis, um, said famous theologian most of you have probably heard of him he wrote the white the lion the witch in the wardrobe but he talks about this aspect of how important everything that we do is is like shaped by our childhood and mm. shaped shaped by our parents like in a very spiritual way you know he he likens like saying like hey have you noticed so many people in moments of of worship they raise their hands the line between how that started, we're not sure. But he's like, what I do know is that when a baby wants to be picked up, they raise their hands. Mm. And what I also know is that it's very likely that the cry of the heart of the 25-year-old or the 45-year-old who's raising their hands in worship is really saying, pick Daddy, me pick up. me up. Yeah. Right? And it was, you know, it was like, it just gave me context of like, you know what? There's so many things that are sown in our reality is growing up that daily affect the way that we view God. Yeah, in ourselves. Yeah, in ourselves. The shame of our, the shame that we carry, that many people carry about who we are. Yeah is oftentimes not even rooted in a shame that we feel, but rooted in the shame that another person felt towards us. Yeah. That we absorbed. Because even if you take that same analogy forward of, like, a baby raising their arms, wanting to be picked up, like, if you were a child and you were very seldom picked up, yeah, and you learned that raising your arms does not produce the result mm. of being taken care of yeah then when you become a christian i imagine it would be really really difficult for you to raise your arms in worship in worship right yeah. and actually now that i think about it i look at like my dad is great he if he's listening i say nothing here that i would not say to him or hadn't already said to him we have a pretty open relationship What's up, but where he <laughs> what up homie um <laughs> but where he is limited as just as an individual, and I don't think it's his fault, but, like, he really struggles with intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. With, like, not even intimacy, as seeing God as a father. Yeah, he never had a, a father. And a yeah, he sees God as, as Lord, as master, as savior. And when he's crying out and when he's singing in worship, those are the words he always uses. Yeah. When he prays, those are the words he always uses. Rarely, rarely will you hear daddy or father or Abba. Yeah. That's like something very new to him at yeah. almost 60. But it's like, oh, no, that makes a ton of sense. My dad did not know. Well, he knew his father and his father was a bum and didn't didn't really want much to do with him. Yeah. Yeah. And to think about like what it meant for him, what his internal voice is. Yeah. Right. Like that. What the internal voice that may say, like, "Hey, like you, you just not gonna get picked up." Yeah. You know? I mean, I remember one of the most heartbreaking things he ever said to me. I was praying over the food or something, and I started off my prayer by saying, "Dad, I thank you for the food or whatever." I referenced God as Dad, um, or I said Daddy, and afterwards he was like, "Man, that was so weird." He's like, "You know, I've never said that word before." I was like, mm-hmm. what word? 
He's like, Daddy. Mm. I've never had anyone to say it to. Mm. It was so... It's just weird to hear you talk talk to God like that. Like, that's yeah. uncanny. And it just broke my heart. Because I'm yeah. like, man, that is such a foundational view of how I view the world in so many ways. Like, that, just that that, that that could be abnormal for someone. Yeah. That they could be 57 years old and never have said the word daddy. Yeah. Yeah. And thinking about just how that affects the way that they speak to themselves. Yeah. And, and how they view themselves. Like, that superego. Yeah, and and you know, obviously he had excuse me, he had a mother, and so not saying that he was completely parentless, but like even without one parent thinking about how you begin to see yourself less of a child in mm. the absence of a parent. You know? Yeah. And so no, like that's that, real. these are situations where where the super ego is actually inflated. Right? Yeah. That very militant, militaristic, you do what's right or else, the 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 fear, right? Like yeah. um, if you ever feel like there's like this like internal voice and that drives you to do out of fear, yeah. Like that's the super ego. If you don't do this, they'll abandon you. If you don't say yes, no one will want you. If you don't do whatever people tell you to do. You're going to have no friends. If yeah. you speak up, you will be rejected. You know? Yeah. If you call out what you see, you'll lose your position. Like, that's what happens. And when people are driven on a large scale in their life by that voice, that is what happens when the super ego is inflated. And honestly, I think there are more people whose super egos are inflated than their egos. Yeah. I, I mean... I, you know, I think about it, and I I just look at there's there are truths at least within the African American community, the black culture of this country. There's a reason why two strangers, two black men that have not ever met each other, will walk down the street and nod to each other in a shared experience. Yeah. And the idea that I know I know what your life is like, type thing. And what I'm starting to realize just thinking through it i have a lot of friends that have dads that are present yeah that did not have dads that were present Mm. and the unifying theme amongst every single one that i can think of right now is that we all have fathers that would display like that heavy super ego like Mm. very i want just hard men maybe maybe great men but like stern yeah you know like if they if they're gonna lean to one side it's gonna be the sternness not necessarily the softness not that they don't have both yeah but it's just interesting that you you talk about that super ego being inflated yeah when typically in in situations where there isn't like two parents or or a very stable parent relationship and yeah i wouldn't say necessarily two parents but i would say a very stable parent relationship yeah i think that would be more I think that would be more true. So speaking to reality that your dad comes from a really big family with a yeah, single Yeah, there's mom. like 12 of them, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and also remembering, you know, children do not, if a, children is, if a child is in crisis, they are never going to think it's someone else's fault. Mm. Right? The, the, Euro, the egocentric, I almost said Eurocentric, wow. Mm. Um, the egocentric nature of children works on both the good and bad side. 
right? Wow. Daddy loves only me, right? <laughs> when, when we kiss, Levi's like, mine, <laughs> me, mine. Yeah. He's like, get away from each other. Both of you only individually belong to me, mm. right? Like, and toys are mine. Gifts are mine. But also on the dark side, fault is mine. Shame is mine. Abandonment is mine. Dang. Right? And like, so for kids, they're never going to blame the adult. They don't have the, they don't have the, the wherewithal to do that. They're always going to internalize it. They're always going to blame themselves. So think about people who've been abandoned at a very young age. They are their own super ego, but their super ego is the pain that they've experienced. And that pain becomes the, the parental voice telling them to do or not do. Wow. That, uh, um, it's really, it's really interesting. It is. Because now I'm, I'm forced to question, well, therapy has already forced me to question, but now I'm forced to question in an even deeper way. Yeah, what is the voice, like, what is the voice that my superego is echoing? Like, who is that person? For me, it's it's probably my father. Yeah. Uh, with, with some of my mother thrown in there as well. Probably a, a mixture. Yeah. But I've never... Before this conversation, I never really thought about that voice as something that needed to be challenged or questioned. Scrutinized. Yep. Like, there's a lot of good there. Yeah. Only reason I ain't out here stealing everything is because of that voice. (laughs) Because sometimes I'll be in a line at Food Line and see that that bubble gum or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? No one would miss this Hubba Bubba Max. <laughs> oh my god! Like no, like no one would really miss it. Who would care? Um, uh, and then I hear my mama's voice. So you like, better put that down. <laughs> oh my god! I love her. Yeah, and the value. What like what is the value of understanding who our who our super ego is connected to? Um, the value of that for us as Christians is understanding when the enemy is fooling us. Yeah. Right. Because my, when I am desperate to hear from the Lord and he does not respond in the time or the way that I want him to respond, his voice always suspiciously sounds like my super ego. Mm. His voice always suspiciously sounds like the adult family finger quotations, the adult voice that's telling me to do or else, worship or else, pray or else, yeah, give or else, right? Yeah. Um, and not to say God doesn't um, move sternly in some places, but oftentimes God's love for us, at least his love for me, God, I've been surprised by God's compassion more than any other of his traits. Yeah. Right? Like when I am present with the Lord, um, it's his compassion and his kindness and his patience that surprised me, not his sternness. So when yeah. I feel that stern urge to like get up and pray or do this right now, you know, like mm-hmm. you need to do this right now or else, or who you say you're a Christian counselor and, and you skipped a day or when I open my Bible app and it's the little lightning thing is like one. And I'm like, ah, oh, dang, I missed a day and I got to start all over again. Right. Like that, that super ego, if I am not clear about defining who and what it is, I can't discern when it's affecting my life. Yeah. Does that voice, uh, it may be my own um, veritable list of issues that that affects this, but is that voice most often a voice that leads to shame or is that just a me thing? 
No, I I think for most people, it's a voice that leads to shame. Um, I think for a very small amount of people, it's a voice that uh, that is kind and loving and and understanding right um yeah I I would from my experience from my experience in the work that I do um and maybe it's because of the sample population I work with yeah there are they're traumatized people and you know so I mean there um, is the reality that somewhere along the way my parents would say one thing and I intuited absorbed and solidified something different yeah my father told me almost uh, to an annoying degree how proud he was of me mm-hmm. how much he loved me yeah. he used to say you're the you're a king's kid you're amazing like every day was affirmation and yeah. yet very often my internal monologue is you you simply have not done enough with what you've been given yeah like you are lazy or mm-hmm. like if you You've, if I feel like I missed the mark by an inch, yeah. the voice tells me you missed the mark so much you should have never even tried. Mm. And a lot of times that voice can be implicit, right? Yeah. So like the voice could be, um, could take on the implicit nature of, of, I know in your family, you guys were held to a really high standard. This is true. Right. And, like, if you did yeah. not meet that high standard, there was a sense of disappointment that was expressed. Um, and not necessarily shame, yeah, right? But, but, like, oftentimes kids can't perceive the difference between disappointment and shame. Well, yeah, now that I think about it, they are <laughs> they're very similar. Um, yeah, this is... this is uh, I, I, I'm going to have to do some thinking about uh, this. Do some which, journaling about it. No. I don't like journaling. I know you you pitch it every everything. I'm just being honest. I don't like journaling only because I have a lot of shame about my handwriting. Your okay? handwriting is fine, Kyle. The point isn't and whether it's fine. And it's not fine. for other people to read. It's about you. But you I know what? This is self embarrassed when okay. I look at my handwriting. It's a reminder so of my greatest failure in third to grade. Practice. We're okay. gonna put our learning to practice. Here we go. Why are you ashamed of your handwriting? And what standard was set for you regarding your handwriting that you did not meet as a child? I promise you, you'll be able to recall a time that some a, someone in authority said something about your handwriting. Oh, I remember. Mm-hmm. It was, it I know. Miss Oberg in second grade. <laughs> <laughs> she she said, "You must be the smartest boy I've ever met to have handwriting this poor." Wow. And you internalize that. <laughs> I was like, dang, bro. So what you're saying is you my got... writing makes me seem dumb. Wow. Good. I'm never doing that again. Wow. Yeah. I don't and write here we nothing. Are. And here we are. Bro. And here we are. I wrote Kobe like love and letters and typed them out. It's when, not... when we were dating. Like, you ain't seeing my handwriting. And what what's so crazy, you did type your vows. Anyways, what's crazy is like, Again, it's not always, and this is, like, something for us to be aware of as parents. It's not, the superego is the parental voice, finger quotation, but it's usually the voice of authority, Mm. right? So, like, your dad could have been saying awesome bomb things at home, affirmations on deck, right? But who are you spending eight hours with, six to eight hours a day, 
Miss Oatberg, whatever her name was. <laughs> She's a really nice lady. She's I'm my sure favorite she teacher, but that I'm moment. I'm sure. Uh, right, right. Yeah. But it's a it's a reminder for us as parents that like we genuinely have to to remember that there is an account for every word we speak over our child. Because mm. like it only takes one of those phrases for Levi to take into dang near his thirties <laughs> that he don't want to write something down. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel, I like I feel like crushing shame when I see my when I see my handwriting. I just started recently writing in all caps mm. so I can convince myself it was more like typing. <laughs> so we were working on planning for podcast stuff and Kyle was writing so mother freaking slow. I was so I I like was trying to be patient, kind and I was just looking at him like, "Bruh, it's been 4 minutes. Why do you have three words down?" And you were writing in all caps. I was writing all caps. I was wondering caps. why you were writing in all caps. So now I know. I hate writing. Well, you should do it because, again, being able to, I don't, I said again, but I don't know if I ever expressed this, like being able to put a name to our pain, to our experience, allows us to cognitively process it. And when we cognitively process it, it relieves the emotional distress that we feel. It literally sends neurotransmitters from the right side of our brain to our um, left lower brain, no, from the left side of our brain to our right lower brain, the amygdala, which deals with the fight, flight, freeze, emotions, distress, all of that. It sends neuro, just naming something, writing it down, externalizing it, sends neurotransmitters from our left brain to our right brain, releasing hormones in our bodies that relax, that release tension from us holding in so many emotions. Like, and for me, I'm passionate about bringing therapeutic principles to people's houses, to their homes, to their offices, to their bedrooms. It's not just about people being able to afford therapy and coming in. It's about people learning how to have the tools to maintain spiritual and mental wellness in their everyday lives. Yeah. You should do this stuff for a living. I do. I do. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining us and having this conversation. Journal, okay? Journal, 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 journal. It is the cheapest mental health resource you can offer yourself. Um, if you don't know how to journal, I got you. Check the show notes. I got you. We'll talk soon. Thank you guys for tuning in until the circle comes back around. See you guys next time. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. Because we want you guys to actually implement some of these principles that you learn in the podcast, we created a free guide for those of you who want to learn how to support your partner through a depressive season. The link is in the show notes. It's completely free. Also, if you're thinking about going to therapy and have no clue where to start, don't worry. We got you. We created a free FAQ guide so that you can have questions answered from how to find a therapist and how to utilize insurance. So if you want those free resources, make sure to check the show notes. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast or even share it so that people can join the meaningful conversation. Until the circle comes back around, I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.